one of the things that you mentioned, and it's this whole idea of feminization, which is a big part of the argument in your article. The surprising part about reading the article, and I'm sure the most fascinating uh, for scholars, is juxtaposing muscular Christianity, which is, of course, as you say, stereotyped and derided in many cases, and Mary Baker Eddy or any church that was perceived as feminine. And it's this perception at the late 19th century, early 20th century, that religion was in danger of becoming something for women and children only. This idea of there needing to be a version of Christianity that offset this feeling of emasculation was, was so important. Welcome to Seekers and Scholars, a podcast from the Mary Bickerty Library in Boston and online at mbelibrary.org. I'm Jonathan Eder, host of Seekers and Scholars. And what you just heard at the top of the episode were a couple of clips from a conversation that I had with Dr. Peggy Bendroth about an article that I wrote called Manhood and Mary Baker Eddy, Muscular Christianity and Christian Science. It was a tremendous privilege to be in conversation with Dr. Bendroth about the article. Dr. Bendroth is an acknowledged expert in so many areas of American religious history that are relevant to Mary Baker Eddy and to the history of Christian science. So to have the opportunity to, to talk with her a bit about the article and to get a perspective from her through the question she asked me was very valuable. Dr. Bendroth is a great friend of the library. We, we've gotten to know her in a couple of ways, at least certainly when she was executive director of the Congregational Library and Archives here in Boston. Her book, Fundamentalists in the City, Conflict and Division in Boston's Churches, 1885 to 1950, published by Oxford University Press, has been a resource for us of ongoing value. So I invite you to listen to this conversation on Muscular Christianity, the YMCA, and Mary Baker Eddy. Peggy, it's great to have you with us. It's great to be with you and to be the interviewer, which is a little bit of a new thing for me. I'd like to begin, Jonathan, by just congratulating you on this article, which I think listeners need to know is no small achievement. Your article on Muscular Christianity and Mary Baker Eddy was published in the most recent church history journal. This is the Journal of the American Society of Church History, which is the organization for historians of Christianity, not just American religion. And it's an eminent journal, and I know from experience that it is not easy to get an article accepted into that journal. So it's going to attract a wide readership and a readership of people who are very much interested in the interactions of religion and culture. That's the subtitle of the journal itself, Studies in Christianity and Culture. So I really congratulate you and wish for many more conversations on what you've been able to tell us about religion at the turn of the century, about Mary Baker Eddy, and, and all kinds of, and about Boston. Well, Peggy, thank you so much for those kind words. Uh, of congratulations. I'm very touched and, and humbled by them. Appreciate it very much. You know, so Peggy, for me to embrace this subject of muscular Christianity and Mary Baker Eddy allowed me to drop into 
a really very dynamic time and area of American cultural, social, and religious history. These elements that go into muscular Christianity and into concerns of the time and how Mary Baker Eddy addressed them in her own way provided a, a fascinating landscape. Uh, it, and it also allowed me the opportunity to explore our collections, in part that came out of other programming that you were part of also, Peggy, programming we did at the library called Spiritual Intersections in Boston History. And so I chose for one of our programs, one of our panel discussions, to explore the relationship of the YMCA and the Mother Church, the First Church of Christ Zionist, which are very close. You can see the big, bold letters of the YMCA towering over the skyline from uh, the, the plaza of the church. And so I was curious, you know, what else is there? And I discovered that there was quite a bit, that there was uh, an important association that existed between the YMCA and Mary Baker Eddy in her time. And what was notable about that was this was when the YMCA was perhaps the most recognized representative as an institution of muscular Christianity in, in the country and probably in the world. I mean, the two were just closely associated in the early part of the 20th century, late part of the 19th century, as allied in their vision and sense of purpose. Yeah, most people, I think, when they think about the YMCA, they think, what, swim and gym. Uh, it's just a place to go work out or run the track or swim in the pool. But there's a fascinating history. It's the Young Men's Christian Association, Correct. and that identification goes back into the early 19th century. And the YMCA was so central to Protestant efforts to be in cities like Boston, to be a presence, that the fact that muscular Christianity found its institution in the YMCA is very significant. This was not just some kind of a side interest of a few people, but this made it very much central to Protestants in, in cities, and particularly a city like Boston, where being Protestant was a little bit contested, I guess we should say, by the late 19th century. So I guess, Jonathan, if you wanted to just talk a little bit about the why, its religious orientation, and then explain to us this idea of muscular Christianity. I'm sure some people are familiar with it, but it has its own history, and it's quite fascinating. Well, I don't know how many of you go to the why that may be listening, and whether or not this Y logo still exists or is featured prominently at the Y that you go to. But the logo is an inverted triangle. And then alongside the different three sides of the triangle are three words that really represent the ethos of the organization. At the top, there is spirit. And then along the other two sides are mind and body. And this was really relevant to a muscular Christian conception that the well-being of the whole person, the whole, whole man, uh, in, in those early days of the YMCA, when it was really just focused on, on men, was central to this idea. And it was seen as something of great importance to Protestantism in the United States at this time, as well as in, in Great Britain. Because there was this feeling that the body had been left behind that um, what was going on in religious thought and religious consciousness was all about sort of the soul 
and salvation, and the body was was unimportant at best, and and at worst, it it was sort of interfering or in the way. And there are certainly biblical quotations and representations that would make one feel that the body was a problem, and to be sort of ignored or disregarded might be uh, to to one's advantage in terms of spiritual salvation. But for many Protestant thinkers and, and others during this, this period, this was a big mistake mm-hmm. um, because it was turning people away from engagement with religion. It was seen as impractical, it was seen as unattractive, and it was often seen as womanly um, and d- during that period where there was this conception, fairly or unfairly, that femininity was associated with being non-physical, with being sentimental, with being otherworldly. And to be a man of the world would necessarily, under those circumstances, incline one to look away from religion in order to feel comfortable, in order to feel successful, in order to feel strong in, in the world. So there was this feeling that it was imperative to reform this perspective on the relationship of religion in the world and on the relationship of being present, active, and vital in Mm -hmm. in the world. And so that was a lot of the impetus behind an adoption of muscular Christianity. Now, muscular Christianity was originally a derogatory term for this movement. First uh, came to light in reviews of books that were written in England, and some of you may have heard of one of them anyway, uh, Tom Brown's School Days, which was a fictional book, but one that extolled the virtues of this new approach to Christianity, where vigor and vitality and strength and a joy in physical expression were presented as being very much at home with a moral Christian life. And some of the first critics then coined this term of muscular Christianity as a kind of cynical observation on the book, but the book was very popular, and it helped really spur this movement of muscular Christianity. And the book became very popular in in the United States as well. And so really the origins of muscular Christianity are in Great Britain in that sense, but they immigrated quickly and robustly to the United States. I love talking about muscular (laughs) Christianity. And I I feel that in some ways it still kind of receives a a little bit of a cynical framing, that it's about manly men and that it, by definition, assumes a kind of manly characteristic that's a little bit Mm anti-intellectual. And and there certainly was an anti-intellectual aspect to it, but I would say that that had more to do with wanting to bring out these other qualities um, as opposed to denigrating uh, the life of the mind and the life of the spirit. It was actually much more about them all feeding each other in relation to that icon for the YMCA, that mind, body, and spirit all fed and supported one another and made for something much greater than than the sum of, of those parts. There's a movie version of Tom Brown's School Days. I think it came out around 2005, and I think it does 
a fairly good job of representing muscular Christian virtues and, and values. It traces the life of young Tom Brown as he sort of develops character and physical confidence and moral confidence uh, on the playing fields at his school and in standing up to bullies. But more than that, it takes Tom eventually to this place of learning the value of sensitivity, the value of compassion, and a real respect for sort of the higher laws and the higher persuasions uh, that can be found in the mind and in the spirit, mm -hmm. and sort of completes this vision of muscular Christian wholeness, where all these qualities, mind, body, and spirit, come together. I'd like to uh, pick up on one of the things that you mentioned, and it's this whole idea of feminization, which is a big part of the argument in your article. The surprising part about reading the article, and I'm sure the most fascinating uh, for scholars, is juxtaposing muscular Christianity, which is, of course, as you say, stereotyped and derided in many cases, and Mary Baker Eddy or any church that was perceived as feminine. And it's this perception at the late 19th century, early 20th century, that religion was in danger of becoming something for women and children only, and that they were losing the men who are out in the world of commerce and business and government, and that the church would become weak and ineffectual. And I, you know, this is uh, something that I find absolutely pervasive. Even when people don't use the word out loud, that fear, it became an anxiety at times that there are too many women and we're going to lose the men. And so you would see articles in the religious press, where are all the men? And so I think that is another concern that you are trying to address in what are clearly, as you see in your article, stereotypes about Christian science and about um, Mrs. Eddy herself. So I'll give you a chance to respond to that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I want to mention one of the books that was so important to me for this article. And the title of the book is Muscular Christianity, Manhood and Sports in Protestant America, 1880 to 1920 by Clifford Putney. And Peggy, we had the privilege of having Cliff Putney as yep. a panelist for, for a program. And it's a, a wonderful overview of the history of muscular Christianity in the United States. But there was one part of the book that I felt I needed to address. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you did. <laughs> and, um, and that's where he really paints Christian science and some other women-led spiritual movements, religious movements at the time as, as being almost the antithesis of muscular Christianity. And it didn't resonate as being quite on target for me, mm -hmm. um, at least in terms of Mary Baker Eddy. Now, it, it, it's more complex than that. Another person I referenced in the article is Stephen Gottschalk, a very noteworthy uh, historian of Mary Baker Eddy and of, of Christian science. And he did recognize that there could be this kind of type of a Christian scientist at a, at a certain point who was female, who tended to be uh, more ethereal in their comportment. I think Ezra Pound talked about a high-pitched voice. Right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so certain voice. that stereotype you know, did have some basis in, in some truth, but 
was uh, way overblown, and and it's something that Gottschalk certainly uh, speaks to. But this notion that Christian science, by virtue of being started by a woman, uh, was essentially a, a religion for women and for this particular type of woman, I don't think bears itself out when really looked at and scrutinized. Uh, Mary Baker Eddy isn't really representative of that herself in that she was very much a person who succeeded within the world. She led a church uh, effectively and displayed extraordinary capacities in terms of business enterprise and extraordinary um, strength and perseverance and a capacity to work effectively within the public sphere. So that idea that has often been presented about the 19th century of there being separate spheres, the domestic sphere for women, the, the public arena for, for men, was certainly not her experience. So it, it would not apply to her, and in fact would not really apply to, to many of the women that were involved in the, in the movement. So on that count, you know, I felt there were some things that needed to be rethought around that relationship. And what was important for me was a quotation uh, from a text by Mary Baker he called Pond and Purpose. And in that paragraph, it was uh, interesting to observe how she was using language that very much aligned with issues that were associated with muscular Christian concerns. She wrote, quote, the advancing stages of Christian science are gained through growth, not accretion. Idleness is the foe of progress, and scientific growth manifests no weakness, no emasculation, no elusive vision, no dreamy absentness, no insubordination to the laws that be, no loss nor lack of what constitutes true manhood. So I shared that quote with Cliff Putney, and he felt that she'd been, whether directly or indirectly, responding to a muscular Christian point of view. Because all of those points that she brings up in that paragraph were major issues for advocates of muscular Christianity. They were very concerned that American youth, particularly middle-class American Protestant youth, were becoming idle and had lost a sense of vigor and had lost a sense of um, the necessity to strive. So idleness is, is right there in, in that paragraph. Weakness, the sense that Protestant youth, Protestant men were becoming more and more weak, had lost a sense of backbone, of strength, of vitality, was also very much a part of their concern. No emasculation. There was a feeling that, that men were becoming emasculated, not by women, but uh, necessarily or not in, in the church, but just by the whole nature of how society and industry and technology were advancing, that you just had these desk jobs more mm -hmm. and more, and you were not sort of vitally involved with the world, but were just carrying on these assigned functions. So this this idea of there needing to be a version of Christianity that offset this feeling of emasculation was, was so important. No elusive vision. Also something that muscular Christians were very concerned about. They were very concerned about sort of the rise of pulp fiction of, of the time 
and this kind of dreaminess of young men just sort of imagining themselves but uh, in different sort of situations, but not actually living a real life. That was also a very central concern. Um, no dreamy absentness, the same sort of thing. Um, no insubordination to the laws that be. This was another major concern, that youth were being sort of drawn away from an inherent moral sense of how to be in, in the world, and were, were sort of questioning established moral norms, and uh, there, there were concerns of drifting into gangs, drifting into objectionable moral behavior. So each one of these points very much aligns with uh, a muscular Christian concern and sense of mission to redress those kinds of tendencies and conditions. I did send that paragraph to Cliff Putney, and, and as I said, I think his words were, that's a real gem, and she must have, in his mind, be, be addressing, uh, <laughs> as he put it, the MC folks with that. <laughs> so it was, it was fun to use that as a kind of point of departure than to examine more of her writing and more of her, um, of her work to see where these same kinds of issues were being addressed. And I found many, many, many examples. And it allowed me to kind of rethink some of her writing and positions within that context. Yeah, I, I have to say I completely agree with you that muscular Christianity was not necessarily just directed at men to be more manly or macho. Some of my research was on Billy Sunday, oh, right, yeah. the evangelist in Boston. And I actually did uh, nose counts, Jonathan, of how many converts he got of men and women joining the big churches. Always more women. Women enjoyed this too. And I think there's a sense of the need for striving for purpose, for connection with the real world that I think, well, it's a universal phenomenon, and it was masculine language that was the best vehicle at the turn of the century. It was really quite extraordinary for me to discover in our collections and also in collections at Northeastern University that is home now to the uh, historical records of the Boston Young Men's Christian Association or the YMCA. Scrapbooks filled with clippings of articles um, where the headline was about Mary Baker Eddy's donation hmm. to the YMCA. And it's, it's a fun little story. In 1909, the Y was engaged in a very public fundraising drive. And for those of you who know Boston, what they did was they created this clock and they put it on the outside of, I think it was the Stearns building that was on Tremont Street, major street in Boston. And the clock, instead of giving times of the day, it would indicate amounts of money raised. And so the newspapers every day would feature a story about this. And they gave themselves two weeks for this clock to reach their fundraising goal, which, as I recall, was $500,000. And it was a little bit tense. It's not like somebody came in right away and gave them all the money. It, it was going to be a close call. And when uh, Mary Baker Eddy donated $1,000 to the drive, which in today's money would be about $30,000, it was newsworthy. By this time, Mary Baker Eddy was a very well-known public figure um, for a whole variety of reasons. She was a, a celebrity. And so this became front-page news in, in Boston. But it was significant because once she made that donation, other Christian scientists stepped in. 
One of the articles, as I recall, was about how businessmen in the Christian Science Church sort of met after this, and there was an expectation that maybe 12 of them would pledge money for the YMCA, and it was many, many times more than that that, that happened. The Christian Science Monitor newspaper that Mary Baker Eddy founded also supported the fundraising, and the Monitor listed names of contributors and Several thousands of dollars were raised by readers of the Christian Science Monitor for the drive. So there was this very real uh, connection, at least a financial connection, between um, Mary Baker Eddy and then by extension uh, through other Christian scientists or institutions that she'd founded in the, in the Boston YMCA. Now, that didn't necessarily mean that she was an advocate of every aspect of YMCA programming or YMCA mission. But one thing you learn about Mary Baker Eddy is that she was extremely attentive to the world, took stock of it. So it is highly, highly improbable that she would not have been aware that the YMCA really represented a muscular Christian uh, approach in its work at, at that time. And the Boston YMCA in particular, it really took pride at being, in, in their words, at the head of what they called the physical work of the YMCA, the gymnastic, the gymnasium, the physical education aspect of, of their work. You know, that's why so many of us love history, because when you come right down to it, it's all about a good story. Right. A, a, a human yeah. story that's unexpected and that makes you look at something in a way that you hadn't thought about before. And so many of us have had that experience in research uh, which is why we love libraries and archives. In terms of this article, it was important for me um, to find an example of, if you will, a Christian science version of a muscular mm -hmm. Christian. <laughs> and lo and behold, the archives at the library offered one up very quickly. And, and that was Harry Porter. And, oh. um, <laughs> and That's he, a great story too, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, Harry Porter the gold medal winner, Olympic record setter in a track and field event at the 1908 Olympics in London, England. There are so many dimensions of Porter's story that are fascinating, one of which is how the press in this time was consistently misrepresenting Christian science. So one of the clippings I found in the library had the title, Champion Athlete Attributes Great Success to Faith in Christian Science. But they also, in the article, went on to say that he was able to demonstrate, you know, this extraordinary athleticism without training. Um, they almost made it sound like he just spent his time in prayer or thought and reflection and then went out. He was a high jumper and then set records. So he had to write a response in the newspaper <laughs> to say, no, this is not how it happens. Um, and in one of these uh, responses, he, he said the following, quote, as to the problem of training, the writer's understanding of Christian science has not led him to abandon training or to be indifferent to practice, an idea as absurd as it is false. Nothing is ever accomplished without hard, faithful work and personal sacrifice. And the athlete who would perform well and grow in excellence must prove every step of the way by intelligent, conscientious effort and the hope for goal is never attained until in thought and action, entire harmony is realized. And so, you know, that kind of makes me go back to that YMCA icon of mind, body, 
spirit. Um, because the person who designed that was an individual named Luther Gulick, who um, Cliff Putney and others have really thought of as the philosopher of the YMCA. And for him, it was that harmony of those elements that was key to muscular Christian expression in, in the YMCA. And so this individual, Harry Porter, in his own way, within a Christian science context, is giving that same kind of point of view. The difference, I think, between muscular Christianity and Christian science and Mary Baker Eddy's thought is the body is really a central focus in, in muscular Christianity. In Christian science, the welfare of the body is of great significance, but the conviction is that it is uh, the spiritual that is the best caretaker and the best promoter of physical well-being or, or the well-being of, of the body. So there are real differences in points of emphasis. So if you're looking at that model of mind, body, spirit, spirit would have an emphasis and a central focus in Mary Baker Eddy's thought that you're not going to see in the same way in muscular Christianity. Mm -hmm. And another difference is that Christian science is based in the teachings and writings of one individual, of, of Mary Baker Eddy. That is where it has its secure establishment of, of what its principles are. There are a lot of different individuals in the muscular Christian movement who are weighing in on it and weighing in on what, what's important. And some are much more concerned with its basic Christian principles and moral principles than, than others who are, are much more really interested in um, the fitness side of it. So it, it sort of depends on who you're reading and who you're thinking about in terms of what muscular Christianity means. There's a lot of wealth in this time period in particular, which was really so transitional in this history of the United States in a good way that it's worth going back and mining it for what we can learn and reflect upon for today. Yeah. Well, Peggy, thank you so much. I, you know, I am always in your debt and now even more so. So I really appreciate it. True pleasure, Jonathan. It's great fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Seekers and Scholars on Muscular Christianity, the YMCA, and Mary Baker Eddy. We hope you'll join us for upcoming episodes as we check in with the Mary Baker Eddy Papers Project to see what they're discovering in our collections on important themes relating to Mary Baker Eddy and the early history of the Christian Science Movement. Also, we'll be welcoming in a scholar of 19th century American religion. She specializes in the study of new religious actors of that period. So it'll be fascinating to see what all of that means around the study of Mary Baker Eddy. And we'll be exploring the diaries of Calvin Fry, the longtime secretary of Mary Baker Eddy. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast was produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library, copyright 2021.